name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Church puts the commemoration of the holy 318 bishops, priests, deacons, and monks that met at the First Ecumenical Council in 325 in the city of Nicaea on this Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension for some of the reasons that Father Thomas was explaining to the children. The Church wants us to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven is the same Jesus Christ who was crucified, who was buried, who rose, who broke bread and ate fish and showed Thomas the wounds in his hands and in his side, that he didn't ascend into heaven just as God, but he ascended into heaven as the God-man, as fully God and fully human. And it's at the first ecumenical council that these 318 God-bearing fathers defended the apostolic faith against a priest who was living in Alexandria named Arius, who claimed that because the Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, that because he is begotten, there must have been a time that he did not exist. How could something eternal come from something else? This was his logic. And so he taught that in Alexandria, and even when he was disciplined by the church, he continued to teach it, to write it, and to spread it all over the empire. So much so that the emperor, Constantine the Great, called this council, and he presided over it, not from a throne, but from a simple chair. And these 318 holy and God-bearing fathers... They defended the apostolic faith against this heresy. They said that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father, just as the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father. That there was never a moment in time that the Son did not exist. There was never a moment in time that the Holy Spirit did not exist that for all eternity there has always been three persons and one God, and that the Father is the source of the Son and the source of the Holy Spirit, but that begotten and procession are different in a way that we can't understand, making three distinct persons but only one God. So the teaching of the First Ecumenical Council plays into our understanding of the Feast of the Ascension so that we are sure, as much as we can be sure, by faith, that the one who ascended from the Mount of Olives into the heavens and disappeared in a cloud surrounded by angels right in the presence of the apostles' sight, that he is indeed fully God, 
co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that he is fully human, having taken his humanity from the Virgin Mary and being capable of death on a cross and being able to eat and drink with his disciples and being able to be touched by those who encountered him after his resurrection, like Mary Magdalene and Thomas the Apostle. My dear brothers and sisters, I want you to take away just a couple of things from today's commemoration of the Holy Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. The one is that the one who ascended into heaven has taken our humanity and enthroned it at the right hand of God, showing that our homeland and our citizenship is the kingdom of heaven that when we die and our body and our soul separates, we too, like Christ, will be resurrected on the last day and our body will be changed. It will put off the corruptible. It will put off the earthly. It will put on immortality and incorruptibility. And we will ascend and take on our citizenship in an eternal kingdom, changed like Christ was changed. And I want you to try to never forget that promise. Because as you walk around in your everyday life, it is important for you to understand where your eventual homeland is, where you really belong. You should feel attention. You should feel a a kind of a feeling in your life that you don't fully belong here that things don't completely make sense. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I won't yell anymore. And that's because you don't fully belong here. If you are godly in a fallen world, things are going to look a little insane to you as you become more and more illumined with the spiritual eyes of your heart. The other thing I want you to think about is that Christianity was persecuted severely by the Roman state all the way up until 312 A.D. These 318 God-bearing fathers, bishops, priests, deacons, and monks were leaders during this persecution before it ended. They had to travel incredible distances in incredible hardship to get to Nicaea. And the council lasted month after month after month. And these men of the church bore the scars and the maiming of persecution. They had been tortured. They had been imprisoned. They had been exiled. Some of them had been dismembered, and they brought all of that to the council, burying it on their bodies. These men knew God, not just about God. They were true theologians, not because they had received academic degrees or had gone and read books, but because they had suffered and experienced the grace of God in the crucible of persecution. 
No one could tell them anything about God that was false, and they would not be able to detect the counterfeitness of what they were saying. It is at this council that St. Spiridon himself stood up. He wasn't even lettered. He hadn't gone to school. He was a farmer and a peasant. He had been married. His wife had died. And they had elevated him to the bishop of Trimithus on the island of Crete. He stood up at that council. And he grabbed a brick. And he squeezed it with his hand after signing it with the cross. And from that brick came water, fire, and earth. And he said, just as there are three elements that make up this brick, so there are three persons in the Godhead of the same exact essence and substance. It was a miracle before everyone. It silenced the philosophers who were heretics who were trying to argue against what Christ had revealed to his disciples and that the safeguarding of the Holy Spirit had preserved in the church. And this unlettered, unread, humble man who had suffered greatly did this miracle and proved experientially the mystery of the Holy Trinity. My dear brothers and sisters, in every generation... Each of us receives the faith that is in continuity all the way back to the holy apostles intact. We receive it like we are running a relay race, and it is a baton. And we are called by God to run that race ourselves. And in the witness of our everyday life, in our words and in our deeds and in how we raise our children and how we raise our grandchildren and how we witness to the people in the body of Christ and beyond the body of Christ determines whether we pass on that baton to the next person that is a part of our life intact. We owe our Christian faith to the fathers and the mothers who have gone before us, who have passed it down. The word tradition in Greek literally means to pass down. You have the sacred task of receiving the apostolic faith unchanged and passing it down to those who are coming after you. We know that Jesus has said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, that the church will prevail until the last day, that no one will corrupt its holy and apostolic teachings. But that can't happen without our cooperation. We are agents of that continuity from generation to generation. So take on this sacred responsibility as those 318 Holy Fathers did in the Fourth Council. Take it very seriously, first for your own salvation, and then for the salvation of all these little ones and the ones who will come after them. Don't commemorate the memory of 318 people who lived so long ago without realizing that in this place and time, you too are given the sacred task to not only live the faith, but defend it, even with your life. So let us 
ask for the intercessions of the 318 God-bearing fathers. In your bulletin on the front page, list some of the saints who were present there, names that you know well, and some names you may not know well. But God is calling you also today in the 21st century to be a God-bearing father or mother, not only by your words, but by your deeds to defend the faith and pass it on intact. Amen.